I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm a Sandy. <laughs> hey, I'm a Sandy. I am the Sandy of this podcast. I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 94 in which we review more books and a finish. And I'm recording this on Sunday, June 10th, 2012. It's around six o'clock, maybe 630 even at this point as I'm recording this. Not that that ultimately matters to you. I have to let you know this episode is a full week late coming out because it's been Oh, a computer week. Um, last Sunday, as those of you who follow me on Twitter know, I had planned on recording this episode last week, um, but my son unexpectedly called me in the morning and said, hey, I'm not working this afternoon. Maybe I'll come out and see you guys and spend the night. And that's, you know, wonderful. Um, I thoroughly enjoy seeing him. Of course, we were not the draw. The draw was the fact that all of his high school buddies were now home, you know, for the summer from their respective colleges. And so he came home for a couple of hours in the afternoon and then disappeared again. And we didn't see him until he woke up the next morning. <laughs> and he sat and talked to me for 15 minutes before he then went back to his apartment um, in the city he, where he lives about an hour away from us. Uh, so, you know, we know at this stage we have no ego involved in our parenting. This is, this is at this point, he does like seeing us, but you know, it's mostly what brought him home was his friends and that's okay. I'm glad to see, you know, I'm, I'm glad to get whatever I can get on my end of things. So, um, I did get to see my son and that was fun. And then Monday I had stuff going on. Tuesday I had stuff going on. And then Wednesday my computer crashed and I have now spent the last few days uh, bringing everything back to life. Now, fortunately, I'm good. I keep everything backed up. But even when you back stuff up, sometimes stuff just disappears. And so I'm finding kind of odd random holes in what, you know, in my files coming back now. And in this, uh, what's most relevant here is my, uh, as I've mentioned in a podcast eons ago, um, I use OneNote, Microsoft Office OneNote, for organizing um, <laughs> quite a bit of my life, actually. I use it a lot for work, and I use it for personal stuff, um, including this podcast. And I had restored all of my notebooks and found that when I went to... Um, look at my notes, and I had been taking some notes for this particular episode, the last 20 episodes worth of notes were all gone. Now, that's not a huge deal because 19 of those episodes had been already recorded, so it's just my own reference. You know, I do sometimes go back and say, now, wait, did I already review that book, or did I already talk about that project? What did, you know, how did I do this kind of thing? So I do go back in time uh, for reference, and unfortunately now, I have this kind of, you know, amnesic <laughs> recollection trail here of my podcast. So um, I'm going to have to uh, ask for your patience. I hope I don't repeat myself today. I don't think anything I'm talking about today was anything I'd already talked about in my last episode. Uh, where it's mostly going to come out is in listener comments. Unfortunately, one of the other things that got lost um, 
I, I lost a few random emails here and there, but mostly my entire organizational system got lost. Plus, in upgrading, um, putting my computer back together, I'm now Windows 7, and I used to use Outlook Express, and Outlook Express doesn't really work with Windows 7, and so now I'm using a couple of, I'm kind of testing out a couple of other email clients, um, none of which I like as well as Outlook Express. You know, it really did a great job at keeping me organized in terms of my email life, so I'm I'm struggling a little bit with that. Uh, so I'm I'm working very hard on figuring out how to track listener comments, and I don't think I've managed to do it quite that well yet. Um, pretty much, if you've commented in the last two or three days, you're good. You're golden. I've got you. <laughs> it's anything that happened in the week before that that yeah, it's a little chancy. So we'll we'll get to that when we come to that. Um, I did as I was uh, restoring my computer and restoring files and all that. I had these kind of blank times here and there, and I was doing a lot of professional reading um, because I do believe that you know my my employers pay for my time, and therefore even you know I need to be working. And so even when I couldn't produce, I had to be doing professional reading. And um, I'm actually reading a really good book, and at some point I'll put a, lo a, a link to it somewhere so that those of you who are interested in women's issues could read it. Um, it's by Lema Gabawi, I think is how you pronounce her name, and she is the woman um, that led the women's protests in Liberia. Um, fascinating, fascinating story, but it, the book is really good, but I'm only about a third of the way through it, you know, what I was able to get read while I was waiting for things to install. But here and there, I had a quick five minutes that I decided I would try to um, record little bits for this podcast, so I would record a book review here and a book review there, and then when I had everything all put together um, Friday night, I sat down and I put all these pieces together in my software and listened to it straight through, and I thought, you know what? This is <laughs> this is not going to fly. It was a little disjointed, and frankly, I thought it was pretty boring, so I bagged it. Um, and then yesterday, we were out and about all day, so today, this is it. I'm, I'm going to try to get it done. Uh, so, uh, in this episode, I'm going to have three fairly short book reviews, but three books I do want you to know about. Um, and then I'm going to talk mostly about the project that I was referring to as my funky landscape during its creation, but it does have a real name now. Um, and I've blogged about it already, but I'm going to give you a little more detail about how I went about uh, doing that. And then I'll do <laughs> listener comments such as they are. Um, so here we go. The first book I'm going to review is called Design Magic for Paint Sticks on Fabric by Shelley Stokes. And if you recall the episode I did, which now I don't remember which episode it was or when I posted it, but it was the one on paint sticks um, a few weeks ago, I referenced other books, um, one by Shelley Stokes, and then I think there was another one by someone else. I don't know. I don't have those notes anymore. Uh, this is Shelley Stokes is the one that she works with um, Canyon... Canyon... Cedar Canyon Textiles, sorry. Um, still a little flooded and perplexed. Um, Cedar Canyon Textiles, which is a great resource to get stuff on paint sticks. Design Magic for Paint Sticks on Fabric, I bought it because it looked like it would give you even more ideas about different ways to use paint sticks. And it does, but it's really a single concept that it goes through. Um, but it is kind of a neat concept. It is one, though, that, you know, I've read the book once now. I know the concept. I can probably play with it. If you've never used paint sticks before, this does have some information in the front, a couple of pages worth that are a basic introduction to paint sticks. But I would more highly recommend the other book, whatever I reviewed a few weeks ago. 
<laughs> and you'll just have to trust me on that. Really, I reviewed a book at some point, and that one was a better one for beginners. Um, so, but you would get the basic idea. I mean, paint sticks aren't rocket science. They're pretty easy to figure out how to use. Uh, and this does have some tips and hints in the in the very beginning. But then what the book is, is it's based on, um, let me see if I can find the word here it is. It's based on the Japanese design principle of Notan, which is, which I'm probably mispronouncing, spelled capital N-O-T-A-N, which is defined as the interaction between positive and negative space, light and dark space. Um, and she says, if you want to learn about more about Notan, search the internet for Japanese Notan design. Um, you'll find some interesting articles and fascinating videos that will help you understand the basis for my design magic method. And so basically what this is, it's a three-step process for creating a design and then transferring it to a fabric uh, with stencils and paint sticks. In a nutshell, you create a design from a simple square of paper. You start with a square and then you do your design within that. You make a pair of equal and opposite stencils from freezer paper. So basically, you take your square, you cut some shapes out of that square, and then the square with the pieces you've cut out um, removed. The square is one stencil. And then the pieces you've removed, you put them on a second drawn square um, in the place where they would have been, were they still attached. And that's your second negative space stencil. You will never understand what I'm trying to describe, <laughs> I don't think, because I don't think I'm describing it well. Um, but I will post a link to uh, this book, of course, in the show notes. And just looking at the cover, you'll see immediately, because there's a picture of it on the cover, you'll see immediately what I'm talking about. Um, and so then she takes you through uh, a lot of, you know, that's a very simple concept, but she does do a good job at a lot of design considerations you need to think about when you are creating your stencil. What types of shapes tend to work best, how to fill your space best. Um, then you take these two stencils and you're going to do them in fours or um, blocks of, you know, nine patches. So you do three across, three down, or five across, five down. I mean, really, you can do as many as you want, but she gives you some considerations uh, to keep in mind as you're deciding how many across, how many down. And then she gives you Again, I always like people who give you not only what works, but images of what doesn't work, you know, and she talks about, I took the shape and I tried to do this and here's what it ended up and I didn't really like it. I like that when people do that, when they say, here's where I didn't like what it worked, but then here's one that did work. So you have a better idea yourself of being able to judge why something works versus doesn't work. Um, and then she does, of course, take you through all the instructions of how to do the mechanics of it, making the stencils and doing the the um, art itself. There are a few patterns. There's a little bit of a gallery, um, not a huge one, but a few samples, and then some patterns in the back if you feel the need to have an actual pattern to follow. Um, and then this does, you can buy stencils to use from their website, and the book includes, I believe, two. I haven't pulled them out yet, but I think I'm seeing two in there. Um, but she says in the book, you don't need their stencils. You know, you, you do it out of freezer paper, basically. And if you recall, when I did my uh, paint sticks thing, I believe in my blog, I had pictures of here's all the things I had played with. And one of them was a freezer paper stencil where I had done that. Done one was the positive and one was the negative, uh, where I stenciled on the inside, you know, where the shape was missing. I stenciled on the inside of one stencil. And then I took that shape that I'd cut out 
and put it on another one and um, then colored on the outside of it. So you had a positive negative space thing going on, but it wasn't as complex as this. And so this is something I really want to play with. Um, I'll probably play with the stencils that are in the book just because they're there and I might as well, but it's, you know, going to be a very easy thing to play with um, making freezer paper stencils myself. So that's a good book. I will link to it in the show notes. Again, that was Design Magic for Paint Sticks on Fabric, Shelley Stokes. But, you know, most of the paint stick stuff, you're just getting ideas out of the books. None of it's rocket science. You can probably figure it out yourself pretty easily. But I did, you know, I got some good ideas out of that book. Second book is um, Quilting for Peace, Make the World a Better Place One Stitch at a Time. And this is by a woman named Catherine Bell. Um, on the book cover, it says more than 25 inspiring essays and 15 charity projects. Um, this is a wonderfully, uh, it's a wonderful looking book. It's almost like a coffee table book, really. It's a hardcover. Um, I own so, so few hardcover quilting books, you know, so it, that makes it stand out. Um, it's not full books. It's like a half size. It's an, it's an you know, odd sized book, but it's very pretty. The paper is nice. It's very nicely laid out. It's just an attractive book to read. And then it's got several chapters. It goes through community quilting, wartime quilting, quilting for kids, quilting to change the world. And then the last chapter is getting involved, which includes, you know, you always have to have in every quilting book, quilting basics and glossary. So it does have that. I you know, if you had never quilted before, could you learn how to quilt from this book? Yeah, sure, probably. I mean, the projects are all pretty simple, as uh, charity or donation quilts tend to be. Um, but are you going to learn a lot about quilting? No. You know, you're just going to learn what you need to get by. So, yeah, you could use this as a beginner. But what this book, the beauty of this book is not the patterns. The patterns are nice. Um, you might get some good ideas for things to do in here. But the beauty of this book is in the copy, in the stories, in the essays that lead into each one. Um, so, for example, in Community Quilting, she starts out talking about quilting bees from, you know, the dawn of time, <laughs> essentially, have always had a tradition of, uh, as she says, cooperatively working to help neighbors who had fallen on sudden hard times, as well as the consistently poor who didn't then have access to government aid. And so she goes through and describes some kind of historical examples of, of uh, guilds, doing projects and things and then um, immediately goes into contemporary now you know guilds are still doing it now including internet guilds she does talk about internet swaps and internet guilds and things like that and then she uses uh, she tells a specific story about one called the sunshine circle and she talks about their history of doing charity quilts and she even has excerpts from their minutes from back in 1914, 1934, and then 1988. And it's kind of fun to watch, you know, the, the march of time while this, this group is still doing the same kind of stuff, but how it's changed over the years. Um, and then the quilt pattern she includes is one that they use frequently. Now it's just a basic tied four-patch quilt. So for those of us who have been quilting for a while, no, we don't need the pattern. You know, yeah, done it. But it's charming. It's charming to have it encapsulated with the essay about the guild that it comes from. And then she goes from that into another um, organization called uh, Beloved Quilts and tells their story. She talks about uh, the sleeping bag project. I knew this as Ugly Quilts, and she talks about, you know, she gives the story of the, the background of how that got started, and then the pattern for the recycled sleeping bag and how you can make it 
um, yourself and then organizations that will take these. And and uh, those were just the first two or three pages. I mean, well, I should probably say about 10 pages because she spends some time. You know, you're not just getting this, here's a paragraph, here's a pattern. It's several pages worth of here's the story and the people behind this and why they did it and how it's changed over time and how you can be involved. And it's, it's very well written. I really, really enjoyed reading this book. Um, and then the the last chapter, it goes through, um, it does talk about, you know, if, if you want to, the getting involved chapter, how to find a Quilting for Peace group. And she's not using, I mean, Quilting for Peace isn't like an official organization and there are Quilting for Peace groups. That is her term for any group that's um, creating fabric projects for donation for a particular cause or, or just doing it for donation, even if it goes to a variety of causes. She calls those Quilting for Peace groups. And so she talks about how to find one in your area or how to start your own. If there's, you know, not one near you or if you would like to start one around a particular topic, she gives you some ideas about how to go ahead and, and start one on your own, um, including, which is really interesting, choosing how much to grow. And I think a lot of people don't think about this. You think you want a lot of people involved, but then all of a sudden that generates a whole lot of volume of work that maybe you weren't prepared for. <laughs> so you need to kind of think through that, you know, planned growth, as they say in the corporate world. And then again, she does go through, you know, the basics, quilting basics and glossary. Uh, not a lot of pictures. In fact, only one picture in that whole section. So again, you're not going to necessarily learn how to quilt from this book. But it's a great, it's again, it's just a wonderful book to sit and read. I'm only really two thirds of the way through it in terms of sitting and reading it. Um, but I really do enjoy this book quite a bit. And again, it's Quilting for Peace, Make the World a Better Place One Stitch at a Time by Catherine Bell. The third book I'm going to review quickly, and this is not going to do it at all justice. This is a book that really probably needs an episode of its own. It's Adventures in Design by Joan Wolfram, and Joan is spelled J-O-E-N, Wolfram, W-O-L-F-R-O-M. Um, again, that's Adventures in Design, The Ultimate Visual Guide, 153 Spectacular Quilts, Activities, and Exercises. And by 153 Spectacular Quilts, that doesn't mean patterns for them. That's the gallery, and those are the um, quilts that she uses as examples. Joan Wolfram is well-known in the art, in the quilt design world, particularly when it comes to color. She is the one that um, has that three-in-one color tool that many of us have, and if you don't have it, you should. Uh, it's essentially, it's this kind of fold-out fan pack kind of thing of colors, uh, swatches, so that you can really work on doing much more complex color harmonies than what you've um, normally made, normally do. Uh, so, this book, though, is about quilt design in general. And, you know, as you know by now, I've read several books on quilt design. I don't know that I could name a favorite at this stage. Um, each one brings something different to the party. Everyone has a different perspective, even though they may all present the same basic elements and principles. They may present them in a different way, or they may connect them differently. They may emphasize some more than others, make different points. So there's value in every one of these. Um, so again, I mean, I know just recently I'd reviewed Ann Johnson's Quilter's Book of the Design. I like this one just as well as. I don't know that I could say one or over the other. I like them both a lot. Um, one of the things I like about Joan Wolfram's book a little bit better than Ann Johnson's book is that um, Wolfram uses 
a lot of different quilt artists. It's not just her quilts. Now, she does have a lot of hers in there, but she also uses a lot of other quilts, some of which are by names you'd recognize. Carol Breyer Fallert shows up several times in there. Um, but then a lot by people I've never heard of, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're not well-known in certain circles. I just haven't happened to run into them. Um, so it's not all the celebrity quilts either. Although I, I did get a kick out of seeing Alex Anderson even shows up in this. And I have to say, I, I like Alex Anderson quite a bit, but she doesn't often show up in design principal books. And so that was kind of like, oh, that's an Alex Anderson book, quilt. Um, so that was kind of neat. But anyway, okay, back to the book. She, let me get to the table of contents so I can give you a quick overview of what's in here. She starts out, section one is setting the visual stage, eight ingredients for great designs. And that's where she goes through. She has an introduction on the power of design, but then line and direction, shape, color, value, texture, um, proportion, and scale. So that's all kind of section one. And then section two is creating the visual dance, a blueprint for superb design. Um, and chapter eight is creating stunning designs with 10 stellar principles. So this is where you're getting into, she kind of puts a whole bunch of things all in one place and talks about balance and unity and rhythm and repetition in, in that section. And then section three is designing spectacular quilts, where she talks about important design strategies for quilts. She, uh, one of the other notable things about her books, and again, I mean, she, I'm not going to review all the design principles and how she goes about doing it, because I would end up saying many of the same things as I've said about other books. But again, everyone does it differently. So just because you've read one book, don't assume you've gotten all of it. You know, there's different perspectives. As Jay has said in some of our design episodes, different um, people even kind of uh, define what the principles and what the design elements are differently. So you're going to get a little bit of a different twist with each one, and everyone adds to your toolbox, to your repertoire. What I like, or one of the things that stands out for me again about hers, as opposed to some of the other ones I read, is the color wheel that she uses. The As you know, I've been doing these Total Color Tuesday blogs, and please go play. It's I've had a lot of fun. There are a few people every week I do a different color harmony, and I'm using... Um, Oh, I can't see it right now. Sorry, I had to pause and go find the book. Um, Color Magic for Quilters by Anne Seeley and Joyce Stewart is the book that I'm working my way through on Total Color Tuesdays once a week in my blog. I take one of the color harmonies that they describe, and then I try using fabrics in my stash to see if I can pull fabrics that, that work, I mean, that do those color harmonies in a successful way. And then I invite others to link up to play and then link up their own blogs with their own play time on it. And a lot of people have already done it, and I really appreciate it. It's so much fun for me to see what y'all are doing with that. So please do do the linkies every Tuesday. In any case, um, as I've been starting to work through that, Color Magic for Quilters uses what we think of as the standard color wheel with um, yellow, blue, and red as the three primaries, and then all the secondaries and tertiaries going from that, and that's the 12-point color wheel that I've been using. Joan Wolfram makes a really good argument for using what I think of as the website <laughs> color wheel, which is actually, um, it's called the Ives color wheel. I'm trying to flip to the page where she describes it while we're, while I'm talking here. It's the Ives color wheel, or also known as the CMYK color wheel. There it is. And this is, um, as she says, this color wheel, also known as the Ives color wheel, 
creates its dynamic pure colors with the yellow, magenta, and cyan, or turquoise, as its primary. It reflects the colors in our world um, because it's actually based on the light wave. Um, she says, the, the other color wheel with yellow, red, and blue as the primaries was developed over 100 years ago by artisans. Advances in the, in the physics of color that we have available to us now show that this older color wheel, uh, dot, 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 does not give accurate color information with regard to color relationships and plans. And so she makes a good argument for not using that, old, that one anymore, but using this, this other one, the Ives or the CMYK color wheel. And so... And that's the one that her 3-in-1 color tool actually has in it and is based on. So what I'm going to start doing in my Total Color Tuesdays is is playing with both, actually, and seeing, okay, if this is the color harmony I'm going with, doing it using the standard color wheel would lead me in this direction, whereas using it the Ives color wheel would lead me in this other direction. What's the difference and which one do I feel is more successful? And I think that's going to be a lot of fun to kind of do a side-by-side -side comparison and play with. So that's the other thing that I really, that makes her book stand out for me as opposed to a lot of the other design books I've been reading. Um, but again, I, I could spend an entire episode just talking about this book. I highly, highly recommend it, just like I highly, highly recommended Ann Johnson's book and the Lorraine Torrance book that we're working through. Um, every one of them just gives you something different. So they are all worthwhile getting. And I know I'm trying to spend a lot of your money, but that's just the way I roll. So, <laughs> okay, so those are my book reviews. Um, and again, I will post links in the show notes to this episode, as I always do. Now, let me see if I can kind of, unfortunately, fairly quickly go through my project that I just finished. Um, I did post on it, about it on the blog. This, this all started, this is the one that, while I was working on it, I referred to it as the funky landscape. That was kind of my working title for it. One night, I, I had just kind of started my sabbatical maybe a week or two before, and one of the things I wanted to do on my sabbatical personally was really push myself in terms of design and exploring and just having fun with things in, in my quilt life and and really trying to um, grow quite a bit in that regard. And I have always had the issue of not wanting to cut into fabric because I'd be afraid I would ruin it. You know, that's, this is kind of, I've talked about this a lot of times on this episode, is having to remind myself it's only fabric. And so one night I decided, um, I'm, you know, there may or may not have been a glass of wine involved <laughs> in this process because, you know, I just had to loosen myself up. But I decided I was home alone. My husband was out of town. My daughter hadn't gotten home from school yet, uh, back for the summer. This was in February. Um, so it was just me and the dogs and I walked up to my sewing room. I just started pawing through my fat quarter bin and I pulled out, um, a stack of fat quarters that I'd had for a long time, several years, but I'd never quite known what to do with them. Several of them were batiks, um, that were really fun kind of designs, fun patterns, bright colors. And then there were a couple of African fabrics that I had bought, um, from a vendor when I was in Houston. And then I even ended up by the end of this process, because I was still, you know, I started out with a few, but then I'd periodically hit a spot where I'd kind of want to go in a different direction, and I'd pull some other ones out. Um, even a couple of my own hand-dyed fabrics that I'd done at my retreat last May got represented in the finished product. And I, I really decided, okay, it's only fabric. You know, I've had this stuff for a long time. I haven't used it yet. 
if I keep worrying about finding the perfect project for it, I will never use it, so I need to just start cutting up, and if I end up completely ruining it and tossing the whole thing out, that's fine. At least I will have had fun, and I will have learned something in the process, whatever I needed to learn. So I, I decided I'm just going to start cutting. The other hang-up I've always had is that I really struggle with drawing. I really struggle with drawing. I had been um, also during sabbatical, I'd been working my way through, I think I mentioned this in an episode somewhere along the way, the book um, Learn to Draw in 30 Days or something like that. I didn't get all the way through the book. Um, it, I stopped mostly because we went on the vacation and I've just never gone back to it. But it, what it did do is, again, kind of loosen me up and make me realize, okay, well, I, I can draw better than I think I can as long as I'm just sticking to fairly simple shapes and perspective and that kind of thing. So what I decided is I'm better with shapes than I am with line. And I know the two are related, but as when I'm drawing, I'm thinking about line and where is that line going and is that line in the right place? When I'm thinking, when I'm quilting though, I'm thinking about shapes. I'm looking at the whole triangle or the whole circle or, the, or whatever. I'm not worried about the individual line. So rather than starting to draw a design, I decided I was just gonna start cutting shapes out of fabric. And so I had one um, fat quarter that I used as a background, and it was pretty clearly like a sky. It could have been a sky or a water kind of fabric. And I said, well, this, I'm going to do a sky kind of thing. And I pulled some of these other batik back, uh, fabrics and created sort of a landscape of, you know, ground, grass ground kind of thing. And I, I backed all of that, by the way, with a stabilizer of some sort. Unfortunately, I didn't write down and I don't recall which one it was. <laughs> I was just working pretty fast that night. I was wanting to just kind of get stuff down and feel this groove going. And I have a ton of different kinds of stabilizers in my um, drawer that mostly I inherited from mom. And so I just kind of grabbed one that felt like it would be about the right weight if I decided to do some serious, you know, thread painting or whatever and and used that, so don't know what it was, sorry. Um, and then I just used glue stick at that point, and I was really just literally cutting shapes out of fabric, gluing them down, or just cutting a bunch of shapes, and then kind of seeing, well, what the, what does this look like? Gee, I'm, I'm kind of looking like a tree here, or gee, this looks kind of like a bush here. And so I just started kind of creating um, that. And I worked probably two, three hours that first night just having fun with this, and then I walked away from it for a few days and then kind of came back and moved some things around, cut out some more shapes, walked away from it for a few days. And each time I just sort of let it speak to me. Okay, what are you becoming? You know, I'm having fun with this. What are you becoming? Eventually it told me, you know, that it wanted me to play with perspective. So I started kind of doing the near far thing, you know, and size and, and, and where stuff was sitting. I couldn't, I didn't do much with color, you know, value. In terms of perspective, it was all size because all of this, I wasn't playing with different, um, you know, all of my fabric was pretty much saturated to the same extent. Um, so it's it, the perspective is only in terms of size and placement. And so I started playing with that. Well, then, I, you know, I kind of had this landscape thing working and it felt very Dr. Seuss to me, but it, it didn't have a purpose. It was just sort of playing. And then I went down to attend the... Um, textiles of exile exhibit which i talked about in a previous exhibit and that or a previous episode and that was the exhibit that was all um work coming out of displaced people's communities um displaced in a variety of ways some were refugee communities some were um internally displaced persons you know still living in their own home, uh, countries but living in hiding in various places because of civil war um 
Some were displaced in terms of there were some by prisoners and there were some by mental health patients. Uh, so there was a variety of communities represented in that exhibit. And while I was there, I thought, you know, I really want my quilting to express some of these things that are important to me and of concern to me and some of these things that I'm immersed in daily in my job and in my own personal concern. And around the same period of time as going to the textile of exile, this was all within the same two to three week period, I was also part of um, planning and uh, hosting an International Women's Day celebration here in my city at which we had women from five or six different countries. And most of those women, some of them were very newly arrived in our country from refugee communities. And I knew some of what these women had experienced before they came to the city. And I knew what they were experiencing in the city. It is not easy. As we all know, it's not easy to move anyway when you already know the language and you've got you know family and friends in the country and you've got some sort of support networks. When you're a refugee or immigrant coming into the country, it is really, really hard. And so I, you know, I'm in relationship with these women. I know what they're dealing with. And yet at that International Women's Day, they were singing and clapping and dancing and hugging each other and across countries. I mean, we had, like I said, we had five countries represented in distinct languages and they couldn't really talk to each other, but they could dance and they could sing and they could hug and they could clap. And they were doing all of those things. And the word that just kept coming back to me was joy. It was just joy. And when I came home and looked at this project that I had going, I thought, this is joy. This this project has got to express the joy of these women that I have experienced. And so that's when the women came into um, this project. And it went from just being a landscape to being an expression. And um, I, it took me a long time and a lot of fabric cutting and a lot of stuff hitting the trash can uh, to figure out positions to cut these shapes into that would look like women who were dancing. Um, I did try drawing it at first, but again, you know, I was getting so hung up on not being able to draw it correctly that I said, I'm just going to, you know, go back to just cutting the fabric. And... Um, I finally, you know, got something that I felt like, yeah, okay, I can work with this. It's still not ideal. I still have a lot to to learn or to get more experience about doing figures in fabric, but it, it was good enough if expressed what I wanted to express. Um, so then I, you know, played with those, and that's one of the hand dies is one of, that I had made was one of those women. I found, you know, this one little bitty part of this hand die that I thought would make a perfect dress for this one woman. So that was that was kind of fun is looking at this fabric. You know, here I've got this, I think it's a quarter yard, half yard piece of fabric. And I'm going around with this little, she's only maybe an inch and a half tall. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, which exact inch and a half segment of this fabric is what I want. You know, that's cool. That is cool to do. That's a lot of fun. It really makes you look at your fabric differently. Um, so I fused everything down. Once I had, once I felt like I had all the shapes on there and they were all in the position I wanted to do, then I decided um, I really needed to fuse them before I started sewing because it was still all glue sticked. And um, in retrospect, of course, it would have been easier to fuse the fabric first and then cut the shapes out of them. That <laughs> would have been oh so much easier. And of course, I'm start. I was watching Wendy Butler Burns Art Quilting 101 kind of started that very late in this process and she talked about doing that and I'm like well yeah duh, that would have been so much easier for me to do but I didn't so now I'm trying to cut little pieces of fusible the same size as these little bitty shapes 
that I had. But, you know, I'm okay with that because that was my process. I, I just needed to do it that way. Um, but I did get it all fused down finally, and I um, had some problems with the fusible was kind of old, so I was having some problems with that. And there were some places where some of the fusible actually shows on the the top, and so you've got these kind of shiny spots. I was able to get a lot of it off after I was done. Here's the, the trick quickly, is you steam the hay out of it. So you put your iron on really, really hot, tons of steam, and you hold your iron about four inches over where the fusible is stuck on the fabric for 10 to 20 seconds. And then you um, either just scrape off the fusible with your thumbnail, which is what I was doing, or you can try to blot it up with um, other fabric. But I think mine had been on there for so many weeks by the time I got around to trying to get it off that um, that just I had to just physically scrape it off. And there was some that's still on there, but you can't really see it anymore because I did mostly quilt or embellish over the top of it. So that turned out not to be a huge issue. I did play with a lot of filler kind of thread sketching stitches. I had a lot of fun with that. Some of it worked better than others. There's some, like I'm I'm not really keen on the way one part ended up looking, but you know, I'll live with it. Again, this was a learning process. Uh, and so then once I did all of that, um, I then attached, you know, did the background or the batting and backing and then quilted it. And I kept my quilting very simple. I just did outline quilting around the shapes, did a little bit of textural quilting in some some larger spots. Um, I think I also did the flowers after I had already quilted everything because I felt like they just needed a little more than I had done. Um, some thread talk. So that was basically what I finished. I pieced the background together with uh, leftover parts of the fat quarters that I'd used and then bound it. Oh, I had to... I had to borrow some Kona Black from a friend of mine. Thank you, Jam. Um, just to get, I had just enough Kona Black left from another project to do most of the binding. I was a few inches short and I was over at her house and she loaned me some and I was able to get enough just to get those those last few inches. So thank you, Jan. You were a lifesaver. Um, I used a variety of threads through this whole project because I have a bunch of like samples that I've picked up along the way. So I decided, again, this was a chance to just play with that kind of stuff. I used Aurifil monofilament, the invisible thread. I used that in my bobbin because then I didn't have to worry about the fact that I was switching colors all the time on the top. So I just kept that invisible, the monofilament in the bobbin the whole time and just changed um, upper threads. Had no problems whatsoever. Once again, Aurifil, man, great stuff. Their monofilament never broke on me. Never, ever broke. Never a problem with it whatsoever. Didn't have any tension problems, nothing. I can't say enough about that stuff. So if you've had problems with other invisible threads, try Aurifil monofilament. It's fantastic. I also used several Mettler threads, one Guterman, a um, couple others, a few other Aurifils, of course. <laughs> I do. If there's one thread I have a lot of, it's Aurifil. Um, those were all good. They all worked fine. The only thread I used that I wasn't entirely thrilled was a Superior Threads sample that I'd gotten. It's Ricky Tim's Art Studio Colors. It's a 40 weight polyester. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful color, but it's really, really thin and slippery. So it's beautiful, but man, it was a pain to work with. Um, I, I wouldn't say don't buy it. I mean, it, it is gorgeous. And I only have, <laughs> this project was perfect because the samplers that I got from Superior Threads, and I did that about a year ago, you can go on their website and order sample packets. And I ordered a sampler. And of course, they send you all the bizarre colors, you know, 
you're not normally using. Um, but this this is perfect for this because they were all that's I was using bizarre colors in my landscape quilt, so it worked. The the thread, um, if you're curious about that particular one, that was the thread that's in my green sort of ferny kind of bushes. That was the Superior Threads Ricky Tim's that I was using there. It's this gorgeous lime green. It's just beautiful, but it was a real pain to work with. Um, I will you know use it again. I'm sure someday I'm just gonna have to tweak how I use it. So that's kind of, you know, all I have to report on that project. I, I do consider this the first in a series. I mostly like the way it turned out. There's really nothing I would have done differently because the whole thing was about process rather than product. Never at any time while I was working on this did I have a sense of what was I going to do with it when it was done. I just wanted to do the process. So now I've got it done. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> I still don't know where it's going to hang other than bringing it to my guild show and tell tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, it was really just playing and I just had a ball and I'm already thinking through the next one um, that I'm going to do in the series and I'm going to take everything I've learned from this one. I'm going to run with it. Um, I'm going to be playing with dimensional stuff on the next one from uh, from some things I've learned from a variety of sources. And the other thing I've been doing is in our design study group, our last session, we've now ended for the summer, but our last session was on using words as inspiration. And I said, gee, I've already been doing that because the word joy really guided this one I just finished. And the next one I'm working on, I'm going to give you a sneak peek. The word is hidden, H-I-D-D-E-N. That's the next one I'm going to work on. So um, you may be seeing pictures of that one come up. I've got to get some other projects done first before I can really start playing with that one. But um, I've kind of got in my head some things I want to do, and I want to start playing with that, you know, here and there as I can. So that's um, all I have to report. Listener comments, like I said, folks, I am so sorry, so, so sorry. With my organizational system gone, I don't have a good sense of what comments I'd already referenced in the last episode. Still trying to get everything set back up again. Um, so let me take a second to kind of pull together a few of them anyway. Okay, I heard from Boliz who had emailed me about um, Craftsy and iPads. And I had mentioned I was having problems uh, watching uh, stuff on Craftsy. I'm sorry, you're going to hear my email now beeping to me because I've got it open. Um, I, I am taking these classes from Craftsy on the iPad, and I was having problems watching the videos. But it's it's now working. I don't know what wasn't working before, but now it's working fine. So I can watch the videos on the iPad. You just can't watch all the – you don't have the other um, – functionalities, you know, being able to do the questions or the notes or anything, but you can watch the video. So I've, I've actually done that out on my patio for a couple of afternoons. Uh, so that was good. Thank you, um, Boliz, for letting me know that it was possible. I'd already been able to figure that out at that point, but you are right that the um, convenience of the small computer is very nice rather than sitting in our home office in front of the bigger computer, um, especially this time of year, who wants to be still stuck in the office to watch craftsy classes. Um, so thank you for that comment. Okay, Katie from Katie's Quilting says that my my landscape, uh, Joy, looked like it had a Hawaiian influence. No long, no wonder why you were longing to go to the beach, which I had mentioned on that um, thing. And it, 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 it is, it's just sort of that funky sort of tropical look. Um, and she does say that the figure looks like she's dancing. So thank you for being able to see that, Katie, because I really worked on that. Um, thank you to Jay for commenting. And she says, um, I had mentioned at, in my blog that one of the things that I found on cutting the shape for the women's dancing is how slight a change makes a whole 
difference of feel. You know, one slight difference of a curve makes the position completely different. And, and she said, um, this is why I've been trying to add figures to my creative prompt responses. I noticed that a little curve of the hair suggested a neck or movement. Uh, while not directly related, the realization still helped my quilt making. Um, so that it is true. It's just the slightest change can make it look very different. Thank you, Lindy, for your comment as well. And Margaret and Nancy, who said, wow, that quilt really talks and you really listen. So thank you, Nancy. I certainly did try hard to to um, to listen. Eileen said, I wonder next time if you could just use the fusible that needs no stitching for the tiny pieces since it's a wall hanging. The the main thing with me was the stitching was really because that for me was part of the design. I didn't want to, I didn't feel like I had to stitch it down. I just wanted to, to help kind of highlight some things. Um, but I am going to be playing with different types of fusibles and different ways to kind of get, because I think most of my projects are going to have some element of applique involved in them, although I'm going to try other techniques as well. Um, and mostly raw edge, because that's the feel I want to go for. So I'm going to be playing with some different things. So maybe at some point I'll be able to do a whole episode on, on what I'm learning. Tracy sent me a very nice email. Thank you so much. And she especially appreciated my review a while back. She's she's a new listener who started last fall and is now working her way forward. And she heard my review of the book, uh, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And so she's now downloaded it. And thank you. That is, that's a great book. If you didn't hear my review, I didn't actually, I didn't don't know that I really reviewed it, but I did mention that I read it and I loved it. And thank you also to Sarah. And I know other people have commented and you're, it's just gone. I'm so sorry. So thank you to everybody who has commented. Thank you. I've also noticed a couple of new reviews in iTunes. Appreciate that as well. A couple things just to, again, let you know, I've got my blog has Slow Quilt Monday still. I'm still doing the Slow Quilt Movement. And Total Color Tuesday now is your chance to link up. So if you read the blog on Tuesday and then do your own play, and then you can link your playing to that blog post. And the linkies, I, I stretch them out for the following week. So I think they close probably the next Tuesday. So it's each one is open for about a week. If you would like me to, I can open it up so they're just sort of, you know, random. You can open them up whenever and link whenever. But I figured that way people would know to go back and look again. Um, so do that. I'm still... I'm I'm a little less sure I'm going to keep doing the Donation Quilt Wednesdays and the Food Fridays only because Total Color Tuesday, I don't want it to get buried, you know, under a bunch of other blogs. So I'm I'm kind of trying to figure out how I'm going to work with that. The other announcement I want to make is I realized I'm on episode 94, oh my word, which means, guess what, guys, I'm coming up on my 100th episode. So I'm not going to do a whole, you know, month-long extravaganza like I did with my two... Uh, two-year podcast anniversary, but I'm going to do a giveaway. So start watching for that. I'm going to be setting it up. Um, you know, who knows when I'll actually hit that 100th episode. Technically, it would be six weeks from now, but <laughs> the way things go, who knows? Plus, about six weeks from now is when I start my really busy summer uh, travel schedule for work. So it's going to be a little flexible. Sometime this summer, I will hit my 100th uh, episode, and I will be doing some serious giving away. So do keep an eye out for that. Thank you again to everybody for listening. Thank you so much for those who have been listening forever. Thank you also to those of you who are new listeners. Need them both. Need them both. So thank you so much for that. You know how you can get a hold of me. 
You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com. That's Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can follow the blog. You can follow me on Twitter and Pinterest and Goodreads. All of those places, I am Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You know where else I'm Sandy Quilts is on Seamed Up. So make sure you follow me there as well and join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Seamed Up, also on Facebook, also on Flickr group, and in the Big Tent Quiltcast supergroup. You can also join the, quilt, the Quilting for the Rest of Us subgroup. And you can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team. You will find links for all of that and a whole lot more. Just a whole lot more. At the website at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.